Let us pray. O Lord, with your clear word, you enlighten our lives and fill us with the life of your Son. Thank you for this comforting assurance and hope. But we have allowed fears and doubts to cause us to stray from you and from your word. Give us that eternal inheritance of life in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the 119th Psalm, the 14th stanza, verses 105 through 112. Please rise. Your words are a lamp for my feet and a light for my footpath. I have sworn, and I confirm it, to keep your righteous judgments. I have been afflicted to a great extent. O Lord, make me alive according to your words. Please delight in the freewill sacrifice of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My soul is in my hand continually, but I have not forgotten your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your regulations. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I stretch out my heart to the doing of your engraved commands forever, to the end. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. As we've been going through Psalm 119, I'm sure you've been waiting for this bit. Here's the most famous passage from Psalm 119. Your words are a lamp for my feet and a light for my footpath. And you might be familiar with a, a different translation of it. And when you hear the words, you might even hear them set to music, depending on your, your tradition. And those words, they're full of comfort, aren't they? Why is it so comforting to know that God's word enlightens our path? One feature of this 14th stanza of the 119th psalm is that it repeats the themes of all the 104 verses that went before it. It affirms how the journey will continue for the 64 verses to come. In the clarity of Scripture, we are given the assurance that His promises give us life now, and that the faith that He gives us now leads to eternal life forever. I mentioned the word clarity just now. Various theologians throughout history have used the word perspicuity to mean the same thing. It's a doctrine that Scripture is clear in what it teaches. At the time of the Reformation, Luther and his followers debated with Roman Catholics about this point. They taught that Scripture was hard to understand, and therefore the Church and the Pope were necessary to give you the right interpretation so that people could know what was true. And the same sort of idea is still out there, that Scripture is really obscure, it's really mysterious, and you need some special insight in order to really understand it. How often don't you wonder, for instance, about the book of Revelation? What secret messages is it trying to tell you? And you can find YouTube channels of people telling you, this is what it means. But no, Scripture is, in fact, clear. And not only is it clear, but it sheds light. Your words are a lamp for my feet and a light for my footpath. You might have heard the sentence, let scripture interpret scripture. And that's what this means. Scripture 
sheds light on the darker parts of Scripture. So the harder parts to understand are explained by the easier parts. So that book of Revelation, for instance, all those terrifying visions of dragons and beasts and fire and angels, well, that can be explained by other passages as well. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam they all die, so also in Christ they all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ as the first fruits, and then Christ's people at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has done away with every other ruler and every other authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be done away with. Certainly he has put all things in subjection under his feet. So in other words, because he died on the cross to pay for your sins, and because he rose from the dead to give you his life, he's won. That's the message. Jesus wins, and he wins for you. Thinking about all that has gone before in this psalm, all, and all of scripture, all that clear word which sheds light on our path, we sing, I have sworn and I confirm it to keep your righteous judgment. And all the way at the beginning of this psalm, we had that promise. Oh, your engraved commands I will keep. Do not forsake me wholly. And we've said that same promise a handful of other times throughout this psalm, that we will keep what God has said. We promise it. So a person might ask, why confirm what we've already sworn? Why say it again? Isn't saying it once enough? If we've sworn it, doesn't that count for, for all time? Well, we have the right of confirmation in our church. And by it, our young members vow that the vow that they made in their baptism, they're confirming. They're going to keep that same vow. They're going to remain in the faith. This comes about especially when they're baptized as infants, when they make that vow. So it makes sense for them to now promise again when they're able to speak for themselves. But I also know of some people who go through vow renewal ceremonies in their marriages. Now that doesn't imply that the first vows were invalid, but in fact it reaffirms that earlier vow. It says, I still promise this same thing. Or take this example. What husband, husbands, think about this, which one of you could get away with this, never telling your wife, I love you? You never have to say it. If, if she were to ask you, why don't you ever tell me you love me? Well, you could say, I, I did. I told you when we got married. You wouldn't get away with that. In the same way, in our Christian lives, every day we repeat our love for God. We repeat our promise to God. We confess our faith and we confess our sins. And we make our promise to do better with the help of His Spirit. We ask Him constantly for His help. I have been afflicted to a great extent, O Lord. Make me alive according to your words. So not only is light something that comes from God's word, but there's life too. We've seen already in numerous places how our natural state is death. We're dead because of our enemies in the material world and in the spiritual world. We're dead especially because of our sins both those that we inherited from Adam and Eve and those that we have committed in this life. 
But then here comes the word of Jesus. Peace be with you. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And so we say with St. Peter, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So because of that great gift, that life and that light that he gives to us, we want to show our appreciation. We want to show our thanks. Please delight in the free will sacrifice of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. Now, Psalm 51 is one that presents our situation with really blunt honesty. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And in, in that psalm's conclusion, it portrays the way of things. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. So in other words, our sins prevent us from doing anything good. But if God forgives us, if God gives us his righteousness and strengthens us with his spirit and then works in us, then our works are seen as good by him. How do I know that that's what that means? Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here's another. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes through the word of Christ. So God's judgments, they effectively come in three steps. First, he judged us guilty because of our sin. And that's right, that's natural. Second, he judged Jesus guilty because he took our sins onto himself, wiping out the first judgment. And so the third judgment comes as a result of that. He judged us righteous because he gave us Jesus' holiness. Based upon those words of God, those judgments that he has declared in his judgment seat, we have life. This is life that looks forward to heaven, and as we wait, we have righteous life, an opportunity to perform good works in thanks to God and in love toward our neighbors, and it's a life of faith in which we feast on this nourishing food of God's word and sacraments. And because we have faith in those promises that were spoken in the past, that faith leads to eternal life forever. We have an admittedly difficult reality to face. My soul is in my hand continually, but I have not forgotten your law. For a person's soul to be in his hand, think of it literally as your human heart sitting there in your hand. You're vulnerable, you're in dangerous territory. The weakest part of you could be fatally wounded at any moment. And just so you and I live in that uncertainty, an uncertainty in which death 
seems like the only certainty. That's something that insurance agents will sell you on anyway, that everyone is going to die. So set up your life insurance policies. But God's word undermines that certainty with another certainty, one that he has spoken. My soul is in my hand continually, but I have not forgotten your law, that law which says everything that is on the earth will die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Yes, there God was talking with Noah just before the flood. But we have a New Testament view on that flood, that in that ark, a few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And likewise, the wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your regulations. The enemies seem so much stronger than us and growing ever stronger how often don't you feel powerless how often don't you wonder how long you can keep going how long you can resist the pull to go against what god's word says but god's word is exactly what keeps us on track you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the plague that prowls in the darkness nor the pestilence that destroys at noon a thousand may fall at your side 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. What then will we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? Who will bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Remember that terrifying aspect of Revelation, all those horrifying visions? Jesus has already won. However loud any enemies, even the devil himself, might roar, and we see how God even serves us with his angels in that regard. That war in heaven was won through God's servants. They fight for us as well. Those angels are alongside us, defending us from that roaring devil and his angels. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. We have this gospel as our eternal inheritance. When Adam and Eve were cast out from the Garden of Eden, God didn't want them to take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Because they would have been living forever in their sinfulness. But since Jesus' sacrifice, St. John saw in his revelation, 
In the middle of the city's street and on each side of the river was a tree of life. The same tree of life. And now Jesus' words to us are, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have access to the tree of life and so that they may enter through the gates into the city. We've already seen how it is that our robes become washed. Baptism, faith, the word, the Lord's Supper. We have the right, once again, to go to the tree of life, Jesus himself. And we receive all those things, baptism, the absolution, the word, the Lord's Supper. We receive those things so often because they are exactly the things that we need. Amid all this uncertainty, heaven is certain. Your Savior has gone ahead to prepare a place for you. Your Lord has died for you. Your Lord lives. God became your brother, so now you are adopted as God's children. The word and sacraments bring those things to you in the most certain terms imaginable. And because of that, that hope colors our lives now. I stretch out my heart to the doing of your engraved commands forever, to the end. We grow in holiness, growing and growing ever toward perfection. We've received Jesus' holiness that covers us like a robe, and in our lives we attempt to live up to it. We won't reach that in this life. We won't reach that perfection. We'll have to wait until the next. But because we love our God and we love our neighbor, we do good works. We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the walk of the Christian life, after all. In a dark world, we don't walk in darkness. We have the light of God's Word. We never need to fear where our foot is going to slip, what hazards might wait for us. We know all of those are there. We know that we ourselves are unsure on our feet, that we wickedly like to go off in the wrong direction on our own. But the light of God's word returns us to him. That light banishes the darkness. and That light fills us with life and warmth. The light we have is Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.